0: You're listening to Randall Wallace Presents, formerly Bridging the Political Gap, the number one American history podcast of 2024 by FeedSpot.com. But I took a gamble when I realized that all the special interests and all the big money were going to line up behind one candidate in this way, that I was going to have a hard time raising money. And that is it. I got in my car, my little Honda Civic, with that chart right there, and I went to Dylan. I went to Timminsville, I went to Bennettville, I went to Marlboro, I went to Marion, I went to Florence, I went to Hartsville, I went to the northern part of this county, and I went down to Georgetown. And I talked about people, and I didn't sugarcoat things. I didn't talk about stuff that's really easy to talk about, like building bridges to nowhere in Alaska so that everybody would cheer because there ain't no Alaskans in the room. I talked about entitlement and what we need to do to get this country straight. And the proof is the pudding tonight. On the eve of the filing of this election, Every serious poll that has come out so far has said we are either in third place strong or possibly second place. Woo! And now I need your help. That's what I'm here for. I didn't charge I didn't ask John to charge $250 a plate. I didn't ask you know all the wealthy people to tell people not to, not to put, let your name show up on anybody else's NBC reports. I simply asked people please come out. What I'm asking you for tonight is your vote, your help, and like I said, and a lot of you have done it, and I appreciate it, give what you can to help me. If you've got friends who can give to me, ask them to help me. Because if we can get the money to compete in this race, we've already proven we will win. And if we win, I'll do everything I can, like I said, to help people get back to work, to make this district competitive, to stop this rotation with socialism. But most importantly, <laughs> If you come to me with a problem, it's my job to help you. That's the advice that Senator Strom Thurmond gave me 15 years ago in 1996, and I've lived by it every day that I've been in public office, and I'll live by it as your congressman. I work for you. I'll do everything I can to help you with whatever your need is find your congressman. I just need your help. And I really do appreciate it, and together we'll build a district and a community we're proud to call home. Thank y'all so much for coming. Enjoy the rest of the evening. And uh, I truly appreciate it. Thank Thank y'all. Welcome to this episode of Bridging the Political Gap, and it's a special edition. Um, as I have said, we had a lot of hours left over between our season uh, five finale um, and uh, and the beginning of what's going to be season six, which is on Watergate. And this is the ten year anniversary of the campaign for Congress in the the uh, the new then new House seat, District Seven in South Carolina. And I I ran and uh, for that office, and that is. That campaign is the foundation for both the book we wrote and this podcast, and uh, and so uh, I thought it'd be kind of fun to to just look back on some of the uh, moments, uh, high points, and uh, not particularly any low points. I, I you know, but uh, of the of the race, I had a really good time, and I I enjoyed it, and I think some of the things that we talked about uh, have proven to be pretty relevant in the campaigns or in the country since. Mainly, uh, you know, I had talked about the fact that we had three crises in the country, a jobs crisis, a debt crisis, and a crisis of spirit. And uh, I feel a little bit like a doctor that tried to warn you about cancer. Now you got a full-blown problem of a, of, a, of an issue of spirit in the country that I still hope that one day uh, our elected officials on every level and our bureaucrats and uh, judicial people will finally address instead of playing um, our side wins at all costs, and if your side happens to beat us, then we're going to undermine you at every every corner. And people try to blame that kind of philosophy on Donald Trump folks. it's been going on for a long time before Donald Trump ever got on the on the scene. Uh, but I thought we'd look back on some of those of my, of my moments from 2012. Uh, this is the speech that we gave uh, that we opened with this with a fundraising event that we we tried to have. Uh, a couple months before the primary election. But this is the speech at Georgetown, uh, an event at Georgetown uh, in that first, we we had had a a debate at Ripley's Aquarium the week before. This is the second event, but it was the first one we were allowed to address the crowd for a long period of time rather than just answering questions. And uh, I hope that that you like it and think it's relevant. Good evening, everybody. Uh, Let me just say uh, thank you all for being here today. And uh, let me also thank you for singing really loud at the beginning of this thing, because had I been standing up here by myself, it would not have been a joyful noise. So <laughs> we do appreciate that. Um, let me introduce myself. I'm Randall Wallace. I am a city councilman in, uh, in Myrtle Beach, and I am running for the 7th Congressional District for a simple reason. It's my home. While well, I have, was born and raised here in Myrtle Beach and have served uh, for the last 10 years on the city council here, and, and am no stranger to uh, Georgetown County. Um, my entire family is from Partsville, South Carolina, in Darlington County, in Marlboro, Chesterfield, and part of Florence. And so I understand the diversity that this uh, that this district is going to have in it. We've got a lot of really important issues that we're going to be facing here that we've been working on here on the coast. From I-73 to dredging the Georgetown Port. Uh, but also we've got to have a congressman that understands that in Chesterfield County where they've had fire rates go up from $600 a year to $1,800 a year, that's just as important to those folks. And we're going to be somebody that represents them as well. It's a different world in certain parts of this district than it is in the world that we live in. But we need to work very hard to bring economic development to the area. There, and I think we do that by playing on the strengths of each one of our counties, whether it's Florence County, who is who has got uh, two huge medical systems, and that's the kind of economic development things that they want to work on or dredging the Georgetown port to not only bring new industry to Georgetown, but to protect the steel and the paper mill and the gypsum plant. We've got to do those kind of things. We also need to realize that uh, on a national level, we're a country that has, I think, three crises that we have to face. One is an out-of-control spending crisis, as you have heard tonight. One's a jobs crisis, and one's a crisis of spirit in this country. I, uh, I, I put together, and it's on my website, certain things that I want to push for in Congress if I have the opportunity to go. They are simply um, a group called Strong America Now has put together a waste reduction program. Right now, we're, we're spending $1.3 trillion more dollars than we take in. That's unsustainable. <coughs> we're, we're borrowing $0.41 cent out of every dollar. The first thing I'd like to do is take the Strong America Now plan and put that across the board in the federal government and see if we can't find what they think and estimate is $500 billion of waste across the board. That's things that you don't have to cut out of programs that you really, really need on a federal level. I also believe that we need to address entitlements. And the one thing that I will say is, is just like you said, we've got huge unfunded uh, mandates or, or liabilities coming from these programs. My grandmother, who was 94 years old, passed away on December 7th. She um, had been in a nursing home for about 11 years. During that period of time, her Social Security paid for nursing care. So the one thing that I want to say to you is, if I go to Congress, I'm going to honor and work to honor the commitments that have been made to those of you who are now getting your entitlement, whether Social Security or Medicare, or about to do it. But we need to look at changing that program. So don't let programs, don't let people, the Democrats demagogue what we want to do. We're going to honor those commitments to seniors but make them solvent for my generation at 41 or your kids or your grandkids so that those programs are there or something like them when it's time for them to be uh, of that age. I also want to work um, to what I believe uh, is an important thing. That's simplifying our tax code. Um, A fair, flatter tax, either one, the fair tax or the flat tax is better than we have now. Um, I liked the plan that Rick Perry had, which was a 20% flat tax across the board, um, with a couple of deductions still there, because I believe that gets rid of loopholes, because we've got some people who aren't paying taxes and some people who are paying a huge amount of taxes. But that's got to be that's got to be changed, and that way we can begin to turn this fiscal problem around. I also believe we need to develop a merit-based appropriation system, so that the earmark system that has become such a you know, way to trade votes and do this or that and spend your money goes away, but that we still invest in the infrastructure that we need. I-73, Reggie, your Georgetown port here. And, And most importantly, I think, we need to pass a balanced budget amendment. But we need to learn from the mistakes that were made by one of my favorite people in history, Ronald Reagan. He came to Washington in 1980 and said there are 94 programs that we need to cut from this government. And by compromising and listening, you know, trying to work and, and thinking that because you had opposition to that, uh, you couldn't you couldn't cut them. You would reduce them. At the end, he only was able to, to, to eliminate 12 programs. One of them uh, that he didn't eliminate but he shrunk was the Small Business Administration. It went from being budgeted at $2 billion when Reagan came in to $85 million when he left. By 1993, by the time the first President Bush left office, it was already back up to $978 million, almost a billion dollars, half of what it was. So you've got to buck up, have the backbone, and eliminate certain things to get this budgetary issue under control. The other crisis I think we face as a country is our jobs crisis. One of the main things we really need to do there is cut these crazy regulations that we have. Um, that is stifling, I think, our big business and our small businessman. I'll give you a perfect example. In Myrtle Beach, we've been dealing with pool enclosures. Now, I don't know how any of y'all come to the beach. Um, you know, y'all know, you y'all live here in Georgetown, so y'all are here. But you come down here on vacation, as um, I know Renee probably knows from her young children, um, there's no bigger babysitter in the world than a pool. I mean, you need one. And the, AP, the the folks have been trying to shut that down, saying that these glass pool enclosures are projectiles during a hurricane. Well, I've lived here for 41 years. I've never seen a hurricane in January. And that's the kind of ridiculous stuff that these one-size-fits-all government it flips on people. We've got an even bigger issue with the Granger plant in Conway. It's coal-based. The EPA, the job-killing agency, is talking about you know emission standards and all this that may shut that plant down. Those of you who were here in 1989 when Hurricane Hugo came through remembers we had the only black start in the entire history of South Carolina. You were we were shut down across the board. There was no power. That was the plant that generated the power that got us back up and going in South Carolina. That's the kind of stuff we've got to eliminate. The other thing that I think we need to address is to bring jobs here on the long term is harvesting our energy resources that we have in this country. Folks, it's staggering the possibilities that we have. There is 2,543 trillion cubic feet estimated of natural gas in the continental United States. In Alaska, they think there's 36 trillion cubic feet there. 17 potential superfields, which would be about 500 million barrels of oil um, per superfield, and they think maybe 17 billion barrels of oil within the continental United States. Off our coast here is 26 trillion cubic feet of natural gas. <coughs> Folks, you can put thousands of people back to work with that, with harvesting that, that kind of energy. We would get, no longer be dependent on foreign Oil and foreign energy because we'd be able to do it here at home, and in fact, we may end up being the greatest exporter of energy in this country by doing that. And we would have the time to develop whatever the next great energy source would be, you know, down the road. For this district, there's no greater, I think, uh, merit-based argument for building I-73 and dredging the Georgetown Port than going after the natural gas off our coast because you got to ship it in somewhere and you got to truck it out some way. So there you go, long term plus. There's estimated 1,100 jobs um, that Henry Brown thought might come to this region of the state um, if we did go after the harvesting of, of natural gas and, and the energy resources that we have potentially off our coast. The other crisis, the crisis of spirit, I think, can be addressed very simply by electing people who haven't forgotten who they work for. They work for you, and you're the boss. And all of the time that I've been on my own city council, I have always remembered the advice I got, and I was thrilled and. Maybe this goes against the term limit of politicians' staying for a long time, but in 1996, I got a chance to, to spend the day with Senator Strom Thurmond, who I think was one of, the, one of was a great man in the history of this state. And I was just, my eyes were this big. I mean, I can't tell you. It was just an exciting day for a young guy, 25 years old, to get to do. And I asked the senator, I said, Senator, any advice for a young guy who might one day serve in public office? And he said to me, always remember that if this guy is sitting at the under end of your desk, he's there with a problem It's because he didn't think he had anywhere else to go and it's your job to help him and if i am your congressman the number one priority of my office will be helping you because you're the person that i work for all i need you folks to do is just give me that chance thank you so much today thank you the next uh thing i was going to let you hear is this week Carolina this week with Tim McGinnis and Tim McGinnis left the being involved in the media and became a Republican state house member. Um, and he represents uh, a district out at Carolina forest and has done an excellent job as best I can tell, uh, in the state legislature. But this, uh, interview will kind of lay out what my thoughts were both, uh, as a rep to be a representative just in the district, because this is a very, um, diverse district, the 7th District of South Carolina. It's You've got the, the city of Myrtle Beach and and then Florence and then a lot of rural uh, counties that are struggling in a whole different uh, way than uh, the way that the cities were. But a lot of the issues are still there. We're still uh, working on I-73. Uh, Congressman Rice has uh, come a long way on that, but we're, we're still not riding on it. And, uh, and of course, we never got involved with offshore drilling. That became a a more controversial issue as time went on. And I've always said when gas is $2 a gallon, everybody's an environmentalist. When it's $4 a gallon, they're suddenly looking for where you can uh, drill holes in the ground. But uh, that issue has has faded somewhat because of the, um, uh, the electric cars and the strides that have been made in the last 10 years, which have been really kind of remarkable. I rode around in one of those uh, Tesla's. Uh, not too long ago and i was really stunned at how fast they go and apparently you can drive one almost to charlotte on a full uh battery so uh that's that's a it's a different world than it was then uh but uh there's still a lot of relevant things i think in this interview and we'll let uh, tim mcginnis lead us through it carolina
1: this week with tim mcginnis Good morning and thanks for joining us for Carolina this week. The primary in South Carolina is over, so we're back to talking about the 7th Congressional District. We'll get to candidate Randall Wallace in just a moment. We're also going to talk about state lawmakers up in Columbia getting ready for the new session. Some more of my interviews with some of your lawmakers in a few moments. But first, Randall Wallace, City Myrtle Beach City Councilman Randall Wallace, who's decided that he wants to maybe change seats and go for the 7th Congressional District. Thanks for joining us this morning. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you all for having me. You're a Republican. It's a crowded Republican field. Why did you want to get into this race?
0: Well, I, uh, I have spent my time on city council working on issues that, uh, that we would have in Washington, you know, from I-73 to beach renourishment Nourishment to, to even sometimes helping with the Georgetown Port. So I felt like I had, you know, some experience dealing with the, the things that are on, important to the district in Washington. Plus, my entire family is from uh, from Darlington County, Hartsville, uh, Marlboro, Chesterfield, part of Florence. So this district's home. I've spent my whole life here, and it's a chance, you know, to go up there and, and work on the things that were important to to the seventh district. And uh, one of the things I want to do, if I, if I get you know a chance, is you know I'm going to ask for a transportation and infrastructure committee because those are those kind of issues are very important to our region and agriculture because so much of this of this area is is agriculture. So um, those are the things I want to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: At a time when politically, at least in this region, very conservative, be very careful about how you spend money, why is I-73 a necessary project which would cost millions of dollars?
0: It, um, economic development uh, is, is, is a big portion. You've got counties along that corridor. Marion, for instance, has but nineteen percent unemployment. Um, so you know, the, the opportunities that having an interstate uh, branching through here uh, provide for um, bringing new industry in, or helping save the industry we have, would be would be very important. Plus, you know, you've got all these people who've moved here. We've got a new. This is a new district, and it's because of the population growth here. And if you have a hurricane coming, you've got to get these people out of here. And so, in our hurricane evacuation route is also, I think, uh, the two most important things that I seventy three will do.
1: What do you think you could do, or what would you plan to do that would speed things up? It seems like I seventy three has been talked about for decades now. And here we are still waiting for that road to 95 to be built. <laughs>
0: well, you know, it's, uh, it's, that's a tough, tough thing because, you know, you're going to be one of you know 435. But I think uh, I'd like to, as part of a plan, to get our, our spending under control, uh, develop some kind of merit-based appropriation system so that an a, a, a interstate highway like this one, that I think was a very easy case to make, you know, you've got one of the fastest-growing areas in the whole country here in Myrtle Beach and Georgetown and, and then this, this area that needs so much help in economic development um, that on the merits, that interstate should be a high priority. And that's probably true the whole route as you go up all the way up to Michigan. Um, and so we're getting away from earmarks. One of the things, I guess, that's happened is, you know, earmarks became the form of trading and that kind of thing. Those have been cut off now. So we've got to find a new way to sell this package, and I think basing it on the merits would be how to do it, and you're just going and working with people.
1: You mentioned your time on Myrtle Beach City Council giving you some ideas of what you would like to have done for the area in Washington. I know over the summer, or over the summer, over the past year, we've talked about these glass enclosures that FEMA say are not allowed by the hoteliers so people could use the pools in the wintertime how would you how would you confront issues like that and what are what are some other issues that you think need to be taken care of
0: well you know i i've if you go on my website i've I've kind of have a a, what i say are three crises that we face in this country one is an out of control spending and budgetary crisis one's a jobs crisis and one is really a crisis in spirit that we have because of the negativity that's happened but in that case uh... the pool regulation we we need to do something about cutting regulations across the board Uh, what we are doing is stifling i think um, our small business people and free enterprise to the point that uh, you know it's it's crippling, um, you know, their ability to hire people and get our economy going. When you look at this situation with the pool enclosures, it's a perfect example of, of foolishness. We don't—I've lived here all my life. I'm 41 years old. We've never had a hurricane hit in January. You know, it just doesn't happen. And the, the, their argument is, well, hurricane—those glass things could be a projectile. Well, you know, we don't have them in January, and and that's just kind of a perfect example of one-size-fits-all. Too much government, too much government intrusion, and we need to look at, at, at cutting these regulations. And, and, and that's not the only example. There's plenty of them. The EPA right now is going after uh, coal-based power plants. Well, you know, the Granger plant, when Hurricane Hugo came here, shut the entire uh, uh, power system for the whole low country and most of the state down. It was the Granger plant that, uh, that uh, was used to, to restart the first black start in the history of South Carolina. And some of these regulations are talking about maybe potentially shutting that down. That's crazy. And I think uh, we need to, like I say, cut regulations across the board. And then I have another thing that I would really want to push um, for getting jobs, um, and I think would be important both to our district, because energy harvesting our energy resources I think is going to be a huge a thing that could make us an energy exporter and uh, take us off the dependency on foreign oil, but also provide thousands and thousands of jobs. And we have 26 trillion cubic feet of natural gas right off the coast of South Carolina. And I think the best argument for I-73 and dredging the Georgetown port um, is, if we got in a big way going after our energy reserves in this country, um, the, the benefits for our area would be huge and for the whole country would be huge. Because like I said uh, earlier, uh, 2,543 cubic feet of natural gas. I mean, we don't have to be dependent on anybody. Uh, in the energy field, we, we we've got it here.
1: So get out there and drill off our shore, bring jobs, bring money. You're saying?
0: Yes, sir. And um, and 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 really, that is when you talk about a merit base to do these these uh, these projects like dredging the Georgetown Port and building I seventy three. where you know, you got to bring it in somewhere, and you got to truck it out of here some way. So those are the two best arguments I think for down the road. For, for both of those projects. But then, you know, the economic development that you have with those two projects, like in Georgetown where you have, you know, international paper and the Georgetown steel mill and the gypsum plant, you know, you need to dredge that port so they can use it as a way to get their products in and out too.
1: On energy, what about the argument of, look what happened with the BP well down in Louisiana and what happened to the Gulf Coast? What if, if we did that along our coast, what if we found ourselves in the same predicament? Well, you know, it's,
0: to me, energy is a natural, national security issue. I mean, we need to be energy independent so that we're not paying these foreign governments, you know, to attack us. You know, there's, there's always a chance of some kind of disaster happening, and that's, you know, just kind of how it happens. But most of what I have read, and I serve on the Energy, Environment, and Natural Resources Committee for the National League of Cities, is that what we have off our coast is natural gas. So the potential of the kind of thing that happened in the Gulf is really not there because we're not drilling for oil. But, um, you know, we do have oil reserves throughout the country, too. So I'm, I'm for going after it. And like I said, you know, that's um, you, you just need to make sure that they're doing their job to make sure things are safe and right. And, and But understanding that sometimes you, you can't plan for everything. But
1: Very fair. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about health care, maybe more energy policy. Who knows what? We'll be right back with Councilman <laughs> Myrtle Beach City Councilman Randall Wallace, who's going after the 7th Congressional District seat. Be right back. Thank you. Welcome back to Carolina this week. Joining me this week is Myrtle Beach City Councilman Randall Wallace, who's running for the 7th Congressional District seat. This is a new district, and it covers a different area. It's not just along the coast. It reaches into the PD. How do you do? You see there being different a different set of needs or maybe a different set of interests to represent, given the diverse area that it, this will cover?
0: Oh, yeah. It's... Um You know, economic development needs are are a big thing for us on the coast and and everywhere. But you've also got to remember, you're going to be representing people who live in very rural parts of the state. I know I've been out in Chesterfield County, um, and they have an issue where their fire rates have gone up because of the volunteer fire departments um, need a substation out um, within the area. And anybody who's not within that five-mile radius, their insurance rates went up from $600 to $1,800 a year. You know, that's a big hit. And that problem is something that's just as important to the folks in Chesterfield County mm-hmm. as you know dredging the Georgetown Port or, or uh, building I seventy three is to all of us on the coast or within the count those counties. And so, what I tell people is, you've got to understand that uh, you need a congressman who is going to be put everybody's priorities and represent everybody up front. And I think one of the things that is my advantage in the race, I guess. Is while I've worked all my life here in Myrtle Beach and lived there, my entire family is from Hartsfield, Darlington, Marlborough, Chesterfield. You know, I can't run if I wanted to because I, I'm going to have my cousins and my aunts and uncles all <laughs> over me about, hey, what are you doing about this problem or that problem? And I'm kind of excited about the opportunity to represent everybody. And, and I think that I have the experience and, and understanding, because I've lived here all my life, that uh, this is a very diversified, very different um, set of needs that everybody's going to have. And, uh, you know,
1: i that's Do you think gonna- that... Is I-73 the answer for more jobs coming to Marlboro County? And I I say Marlboro County because that's the highest rate of unemployment in the state. Of course, the state's the highest, one of the highest in the nation. I
0: think what the interstate access does is it provides you a way to bring your goods and services out. One of the things if you notice if you ride around, and Marion off the top of my head, because you'll see those factories that have closed Mm -hmm. through the years. We've got the facilities now there, because they're they're sitting there to go out and bring industry here and with an interstate coming through um, I think you can make the case you' are right off the interstate the building's already here and we can need to look at each county's strengths what marble strengths are what ORE's strengths are to bring industry here and that's one of the things I'd like to to spearhead if I get to go to Congress is uh, how can we take advantage of the of the the buildings that are that are scattered around the district that um, that we could use to attract business here um, and, and, and try to bring them here. Um, I know you look at Florence, they've, they've done a lot of really good things with the Carolina Medical Center and McLeod on the medical front. A lot of the businesses that are there are either medical related or, or chemical related or whatever. Those are, that's their strength. And let's mm-hmm. go after businesses that are going to fit there and try to help Florence that way. And, um, and so, you know, that's kind of what I'm like to do.
1: Yeah, Whoever represents the 7th District will be representing people here when it comes to issues like foreign policy and some of the bigger domestic mm-hmm. issues start with foreign policy what do you think about the war in afghanistan what do you what what would you do if a vote came up to bring the troops home or to send more troops over how do you how do you see that war going
0: we we need to you know these folks that are that are hiding out in afghanistan you know they attacked us and we need to do whatever we can to make sure that mission is complete and that means going after you know those folks and so i'm there for our troops need to to finish the job so however that comes, when we feel like we've, we've got it complete, then that's where I would be. I think in foreign policy, the single biggest issue out there is, the, is Iran. Mm-hmm. And um, I just believe that, uh, that that country, we really need a regime change there. And we need a president who's willing to say, you know, put, put it down unless we've got to do something about it. They have people in their country that I think the areas make up 20 million uh, in the population. They want out. They want to go to greater uh, Stein, I think is how you pronounce it. And then you got the Persians who were the, the native, uh, the, the group that are, were part of the old area there before Iran was created in the, by the British. Mm-hmm. Um, they went out. They were riding in the streets. Our president didn't do anything to, uh, to help them. And I think what we need to do is put some money in um, CIA and intelligence and start working to remove them because they are the biggest state sponsor of terror. They're over here right now trying to trying to get um, Hezbollah on, in South America working with the Venezuelans and, 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 you know, and trying to export their terrorism over here. They've already said they want to bomb Israel, which is our greatest ally. You know, and Israel is the, the, the equivalent of a supercarrier in the middle of the Middle East for us. That is, that is why that relationship is so important. They are our ally there and we need to do what we can to protect them. And to protect our interests, and the number one thing we can do is remove Iran and the leadership that they have there um, from power. They are already, you know, their they're satellite state in Syria. You know, this guy. Needs at, one, to
1: to, at what point do you think we should send troops in? At what point should should it be another war, or should I, it be?
0: I think you know, there's enough unrest amongst the people there that you know our intelligence folks could help that happen stir help, the pot. Yeah, and 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 help you know, if they had start to um, look at having a nuclear weapon. These folks, you know, we learned from Hitler in, in the 1940s. You take a person seriously when they make statements, like they're going to bomb Iran or they're going to build a nuclear weapon and export it. And you can look at their history, trying to get in here in South America with uh, their terrorist groups or, or exporting stuff in Syria or bombing, you know, Israel, that kind of thing, you know, covertly. Uh, they've shown that they mean what they say. And so I think uh, we should take them seriously. And if they just start to develop a nuclear weapon, uh, we should do whatever we have to do to uh, remove that as a possibility.
1: Everybody talks about repealing Obamacare. Would you go after repealing Obamacare?
0: I think very much so. How so? um, Well, you know, if he's still the president in in November, November, um, you probably would just have to figure out ways to unfund it because, you know, he's going to veto whatever you do. Um, but the, the the deficits that that thing is going to cause are tremendous, and we've got one of the things I've been proposing all along is is real serious entitlement reform. Understanding, of course, that we need to honor the the uh, commitments that we've made to our senior citizens and those folks who are on Medicare and Social Security today, and those about to go on it. But we need to do what we can to make them solvent, because when you figure up entitlements and defense, we're four hundred and seventy eight billion dollars in the hole uh, before we ever do anything else. So that's one of the main things I think we need to do, and Obamacare doesn't do anything but actually divert money away from Medicare and then just create all kinds of uh, regulations and, and money that's going to cripple our uh, small businessman's ability to even compete. And so uh, it's, it's something I think we need to to repeal. Whether or not you can do that with him still there, I don't know. But that's uh, somebody else's race this year. So,
1: Last question for you. I ask everyone, why should I vote for you?
0: I... Uh, I I want to go to Congress because this is this is home, and the, the needs that have been here are things that I've worked on all my life. Whether it's uh, as a city councilman or even before that, on uh, issues as a member of the Georgetown, CA, the Waukomah Council of Governments, and so um, and then my whole family being from the PD, you know, I understand the diversity here, and I want to represent you. And I always remembered the the advice that I got from Senator Strom Thurmond in 1996. He told me, he said, always remember if somebody's there with a problem sitting on the other side of that desk. It's there, they're there because they didn't know anywhere else to go, and it's your job to help them. And, and I still believe that if I get the opportunity to serve, which I hope I will, the number one job I'm going to have is representing the public and the, and the people and remember they're my boss and helping them with whatever situation that they individually need from the federal government. And um, I, Between all those things, having a real feel for the diversity of the district, knowing hey, we've got to get our three crises this uh, spending problem, the jobs under control, and pr- Presenting a positive image for our, our council and then understanding the needs directly for our district to make us competitive are the three most important things we can do. And I have a plan to do all that, and I'm excited about the opportunity to get to do it. So.
1: All right. Myrtle Beach City Councilman Randall Wallace, thanks for being with us yeah. this morning. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Okay, Stay with us. We'll be right back talking with some of our state representatives in Columbia about this coming legislative session. We'll be right back.
0: All right, folks, so this next one is a lot of fun. This is the Myrtle Beach Tax Rally. Uh, on tax day in April of 2012 and this is purely you know campaign on the stump kind of speech again talking about debt and you know at that time we were talking about $16 trillion worth of debt now we got $30 trillion. and so all the problems that we were trying to address then are exponentially worse now uh, than they were in 2012 good afternoon everybody Oh um, have a quick question, did y'all pay enough taxes this year? <laughs> Let me show you what your folks in Washington are spinning on. I got this chart that's been in the back back here. But if you look at it, you take a real quick uh, glance, and you can see that they have oversold, overpromised, and overpaid. When you take a look at this red part right here, this is what entitlements do. And when you add in the defense budget, you're $478 billion in the hold whether you do anything else. What that shows you is this net payment over here of $198 billion on the interest on the national debt, you're paying with borrowed money. That makes no sense. You're borrowing 41 cents out of every dollar that you that we, they spend up in Washington. This kind of reminds me of the story about President Reagan. Ronald Reagan ran for president in 1976, and when he lost that nomination to Gerald Ford, they brought him down on the holly. He had no idea what he was going to say. When he got down there, he talked about writing a letter for a time capsule that would go out 50 years into the future. And he said it dawned on him then that these folks were going to know the outcome about whether the Soviet Union and the United States, who had pointed nuclear missiles at each other, whether they fired them at each other. They would know whether they we had mastered our moment. Well, folks, today, 50 years from now, people are going to know whether we mastered our moment. What is our moment? settle settling these three major crises that face our nation as a district it's bringing jobs and opportunity to the 7th district to make it competitive, I think, on, the, on not only the national stage, but the world stage. We have, obviously, a budget and an out-of-control spending crisis in this country. We have a jobs crisis, and I believe we have a crisis of spirit. To get our spending crisis under control... If I have the opportunity to go to Congress, the things that I want to do is first implement the Strong America Now Lean Six Sigma Waste Management Plan, and they have a booth right over here. That could save us our country about $500 billion, and I have a DVD in the back that can show you how it would work. That's, I think, vitally important, because that's cutting waste out of government that everybody can agree on. The other thing I think we need to do is simplify our tax code. Whether with a 20% across-the-board flat tax or with the fair tax, anything's got to be better than what we have right now. As y'all probably learned this week, as I did, we've got to do some serious entitlement reform. We've got to step up to the plate and make it fair, and simpler, and, and reduce cost on people, and, and increase access. Whether it's reducing or getting rid—excuse getting rid of Obamacare are saving Medicare and Social Security. That's a top priority so that we can get this thing that we're facing, this out-of-control spending, under control because that's where we're headed for trouble. We need to replace the, app, the earmark system where the wheeling and dealing has been going on in Washington with some kind of merit-based appropriation system because we've got to continue to invest in our infrastructure. And most importantly, we need to balance the budget. We have to do it in the city of Myrtle Beach. We have to do it in the state of South Carolina. Every state in the union has to do it, and they need to do it in Washington. To solve our jobs crisis, we need to get rid of the regulations that are destroying our country. We are over-regulating our business community and strangling them. We've got to let them loose so they can bring jobs back, so we can hire people and get them back to work. We've also, I believe, got to unleash our energy... Resources in this country. We have 2,543 trillion cubic feet of natural gas in the continental United States. We have potentially 17 superfields in Alaska and across the United States of oil. That's about 500 million barrels of oil per superfield. Folks, there is no reason for us to be energy dependent on anybody. With that, we can put thousands of people back to work, not, not be dependent at all on foreign oil. And by the time, we need to find whatever the next great energy resource is going to be for this country. And finally, we need to invest in our infrastructure here in the 7th District so that we can bring jobs here, whether that's economic development or I-73 or dredging the Georgetown port or or retrofitting the buildings in Marion and across the PD, where my family lives, so that that we can bring industry in, or bring in chemical and and medical uh, uh, industry to Florence. Those are the kind of things that we need to do, investing in paying attention to the strengths of every county in our district and making us competitive for the future. As your congressman, my number one priority, above all, will be working for you. That's how we restore the, the crisis of spirit in this country. We elect people who remember who they work for. And I'm going to follow the advice that Senator Thurman gave me, which was, if somebody's there asking for help, it's your job to help them. And that will be my top priority as your congressman, helping people. I just need your help. And if you'll stand with me, I promise you this, whether you live in Bennettsville or Hartsville or Timminsville or Florence or Georgetown or Marion or Mullins or right here in Myrtle Beach, I'll stand with you every minute of every day of every hour as long as you'll send me there, and I'll do it until the good Lord calls me home or you call me home if I don't live up to what I promise you. I need your help. Please come on board and thank you so much for allowing me to be here today. Thank you, Randall. This is Randall Wallace, uh, your host for Bridging the Political Gap. I want to thank you first for tuning in to our podcast and invite you to come to our website, RandallWallace.com. There you can get a copy of our book, Always Vote Your Conscience, Don't Take It Personally, and Don't Fight the Same Old Battles Over and Over Again with a lot of policy suggestions and things that I think everyone could embrace, an argument for why we need to be working together instead of fighting with each other. Also, you can take a look at the first 11 episodes of this podcast, which was a podcast documentary that looked at the World War II generation of bipartisan leadership that built the American century and the lessons we can learn from them to apply to today's situations. Again, thanks for tuning in to our podcast. And if you've enjoyed our show, please leave us a review at wherever you get your podcast. And now, let's get back to the show. <laughs> I'm going to move past that congressional race to my, uh, the 2013 race for city council. And I included that because this interview is from Tim McGinnis again, that's on ABC this week, but it makes a bigger point that I tried to make 10 years ago. And sadly, I believe it's so much worse than it was then. And that is, you know, you can look at governments who work together and figure out ways to find compromise. And that's a dirty word. Um, and how they can get things done. And that was something I was very proud of in 2013 when we were running for re-election, was that the city council of Myrtle Beach worked so well together. And I think it was an example of what can be. Unfortunately, I think the federal government, you know, I don't have any way else to say it. I I feel like more so than, you know, Donald Trump gets blamed for a lot of things, but really the Brett Kavanaugh hearings, judicial hearings, galvanized people. And it's sadly, I, I think our government's been taken over by extremists on both both ends. And, you know, so people accuse me a lot of saying you got to compromise with Democrats, and, and I get hit with that all the time. And that's not what I mean. What we need is the, those folks who knew how to put a deal together um, to come back and be more involved. And I would encourage people, especially folks who've served on local governments, because I think they have to deal with each other to run for public office and and to get involved, because we've got to get away, I think, from this insane um, ideologically driven uh, government. Now, granted, I'm a conservative Republican. I believe it, in conservative principles and that you've got to stick to your guns. And I think if you look at Strom Thurmond and Bob Dole and uh, you know all those great senators, Ted Stevens, from the era of government uh, that I've kind of focused this podcast on, uh, those were people who stuck to their guns and were had principle, but there were other there were people there that could, they could work with to find uh, solutions to problems. And, and I look at it now and I, I shake my head at what we're dealing with. And I guarantee you this: let's just forget the, the 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 issues that that maybe there's some middle ground on. There's some things that ought to be fairly obvious, and one of them is six foot five men shouldn't be swimming in contest with girls claiming that they are. are you know, a, 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 a transgender woman. And I don't mean to beat on transgenders in that, uh, that, that, you know, that, that they don't have some rights and they can't be mistreated and all that. But it is obvious that a man shouldn't be competing in a woman's sport. And I sit to think to myself, if you want to know what's going wrong with this country, there's no authority figures left that can say anything that, that, that will say anything that'll take a stand and just say no. Um, uh, and, and that's an obvious issue where it's, Plain as the nose on your face, what the answer is? The answer is, I'm sorry, you've chosen to be transgender. That's, you know, your right as an American, but you can't be in the in the competing women's swimming, or women's weightlifting, or women's boxing. You know, women's sports have got to be protected. And I and I try to think to myself, can you imagine going back 30 years from now and sitting around the table trying to figure this issue out? That Dan Inouye or or Robert Byrd or Help Ted Kennedy for that matter would would be willing to lay down for this kind of nonsense, and and I'm sure you can find some conservative issues that are just as glaring. So I, you know, but it but we've let the extremists in this country take over, and if we don't rein it in on both sides, this country is going to be in trouble. And with that, I will leave you with this city council issue uh, interview with Tim McGinnis, where we talk about what government's supposed to do, and how you can make things happen and work well when you work together to find solutions to it.
1: All right, Randall Wallace, a current city council member, running for city council again. How many terms would this make for you?
0: Uh, I'm completing my third term, so it'll be, if I get the opportunity to come back, it'll be my fourth.
1: Well, wow. 16 years then you would have spent on council.
0: Uh, well, yeah, it seems kind of hard to even imagine. But it, yeah. it, uh, I mean, when I was elected, I was uh, 30 years old and my um, God! Like I, I thought twelve years was going to be a long time. But it's uh, it's on us. So why do you want to run again? Uh, well, you know we've been very very uh, bold. I think the city council about the different things that we've been working on, um, and there's a lot of 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 these projects that I think we're right on the cusp of uh, of coming together now. Um, and it's, it's everything from uh, we've we've had a pretty bold initiative with uh, tourism, sports tourism. We, we've we've redone Doug Shaw Stadium, Ashley Booth Field, got a new uh facility at the Market Commons. Now we're talking about the, uh, the sports complex coming out of the convention center, potentially. Uh, and that is a huge market. And, and during the economic downturn, you know, we did the $18 million for tourism. So we've been we've been actively, uh, you know, courting folks from all over to come, come here. And I think we're on the verge of being a, a, a real sports tourism leader on top of what we already do. Uh, we've been working on uh, some things to do with public safety, police department uh, issues. Uh, we put on a, a, a new system as a CAD, record-keeping system, that uh, allows a state-of-the-art crime analysis so we know where we need to be. And then we've been building something that I'm really kind of enormously proud of This working is these neighborhood watch, crime watch kind of meetings. that We started out with about nine of them, and we've got 22 now, and more people wanting to come in. And what that has done is allow people who uh, perhaps uh, – And in this day and age, when neighbors don't know each other, they get they're getting to know each other. They get to know the police department, and uh, and that gives us, I I guess, a a way of of having our foot in the door in these neighborhoods, so we can find out what's going on. And we you'd you'd be surprised in those neighborhood watch means we keep pushing to people to call nine one eight thirteen eighty two, which is the direct line to the police department, um, and just to call, call, call because they're the first line of defense when it comes to solving the public safety issues. But we combine that with our code enforcement folks, who are we've gone after dilapidated properties and uh, and kind of ferreted out uh, issues there. And we're working now with New Horizons, which uh, not New Horizons, but New Directions, which is a group that is uh, you know kind of helping our homeless, trying to streamline a lot of these charity organizations because you got a lot of folks that are down on their luck. We want to help those people who want to help themselves, but we also have some people that are hiding in that community that we want to figure out who they are. And uh, and so that's kind of coming together. Um, we're you're seeing development downtown. we we've went Harrison Boulevard completed. Uh, you've got connectivity on the south end, and you're starting to see some development down there along Yopon, where, which is which is an area that was struggling. And of course, Market Commons is now kind of turning turning the corner. And so I think Myrtle Beach's future is really really bright. And I want to be here to be a part of uh, seeing all that come together and and pushing it
1: through. Well, you brought up crime. Let's continue on crime for a minute because one of the candidates for council is really running on a strong crime platform. Is is there a crime problem in Myrtle Beach, or is it a perception of crime problem? And and you, you, you brought up some things like community watch and things like that, but what needs to be done? Does something need to be done differently within the department to get things working? Is there something from council that council members can be doing to oversee fighting crime?
0: You know, I think... It's a it's more a perception of crime, uh, but we've got a fully staffed police police department. Uh, we've got a few that I think there's about 19 officers that that are either in the, going to the uh, police academy. We've got a few that are doing the military leave, so you you know you've got that in flux all the time. But we've got about 196 officers that are that are roughly that are on the ground. We would like to add some more. We've, we've talked about maybe eight to ten. That would get maybe a few more uh, officers out in the community, and then targeting that downtown area. But I think you know your crime problem is is hotspot problems. You know, there are certain places where we are focusing on that we need to continue to work on. And then I think this, this homeless situation, which is maybe not crime per se, but it's it's where a lot of them may hide, um, is something that we we're, we're working very hard to get under control. And that's one of the things we're doing with this new directions. Um, group that, that formed is kind of streamlining all the different charity organizations so that uh, we can we're, to, we're helping hand is going to help us do like an IDing of the system so you can ID the people that are coming in and needing help so that they're not working the system but also so that you can help the people who need it and then figure out who's here that maybe shouldn't be or let them know that we're looking and that they may move on and, uh, and a good chunk of the crime that we do have the petty stuff is coming from people who are in that, that demographic
1: I guess. You talked about tourism, too, sports tourism, the big push towards sports tourism. Is there any other industry, should other industries be uh, courted to come to Myrtle Beach, or do you really need to primarily focus on tourism, since we are, after all, Myrtle Beach?
0: Well, tourism is our, you know, it's our number one industry, and that's, we've put a lot of effort into making sure that we stayed competitive in a huge economic downturn. Uh, The tourism growth initiative that you've probably seen the ads on TV, but uh, we worked with them to 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 get the word out during the economic downturn, kind of advertising, so that you know we would maintain ourselves, but also get that big leap whenever the economic economy turns around. The sports tourism is a fastly growing uh, uh, facet of tourism, and uh, you know girls softball apparently is a multi multi million dollar deal, and so we've now got the the sports fields that we can do to house that. But I agree that one of the things you need to do is kind of diversify the economy. And one of, one of the places we've done that, we've worked with the county for the ITAP Park out here, because we've got a major asset here. That runway at the airport is you can land a space shuttle on it. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we've worked with the county for a couple of uh, different job creators out there, the ITAP Park being the main one that we've worked with them. So I think we we can expand there on aeronautics kind of industries to, to bring our higher paying jobs in. And, and then the Economic Development uh, Corporation, the EDC, uh, is one that we've, we've got a man on that board. We've, we've helped some financial help for them to go out and recruit, uh, some new industry to come here. You know, a lot of it's been the, uh, the gun manufacturers out in the county. We did try to get one of them in Myrtle Beach, but, uh, they, they ended up in the county. Well, that's still good. You know, that's good yeah. for the whole county as, as a whole. But we need to keep working on diversifying too, because you know, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. Even though we've got a pretty big basket in tourism, that's uh, that's made Myrtle Beach a great place to, to live.
1: Sure. Last question for you: I don't live in Myrtle Beach, but if I did live in <laughs> Myrtle Beach, why should I vote to keep you on council another four years?
0: I think that together, because it's it's not just a one man operation. Together, we've got a team here that's had some very bold, visionary um, things. We provided leadership, and it's working. And you know you can you can look around at other governments including one big one in Washington and you see what happens when it breaks down and it gets dysfunctional and when you look at what we've done I think our record shows that we're willing to get ahead of problems work to solve problems work together to do things and I I like to think that I've been a, a part of that and I would love to come back cuz I want to be a part of it I think Myrtle Beach has got a really bright future and I've enjoyed the role I've played this far and I and I hopefully if I get to come back for four more years we'll we can see the ball move down the field even farther and I enjoy the job and and one of the Guiding elements that I've always had is some advice that Senator Thurman gave me a long time ago, which was uh, you know, if someone sitting on the other side of that table is there because they need help, it's because they believe they didn't have anywhere else to go, and it was your job to help them. And uh, he gave me that advice in 1996 at the Loris Bog off, and I followed that, and I think one of, the, one of the reasons that I would vote for me if I were out there <laughs> is that I've always tried to be accessible and help people, and that's still my number one job because I work for
1: the public. All right. Myrtle Beach City Councilman Randall Wallace running again. Thanks for talking with me. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right.